I might be the only person on the face of the earth that knows you're the greatest woman on earth. I might be the only one who appreciates how amazing you are in every single thing that you do. Hello and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a romantic comedy or some sort of romantic movie that apparently won several Oscars and has an adorable dog in it and tell you why the person who performs the choosing of a love interest makes a poor decision. I'm Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. And today we are talking about, is this 1997? As yeah, good as it gets. With Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt, and Greg Kinnear. And most importantly, Jill the dog. Playing Verdell. Verdell. Who was played by two dogs, right? No, played just by a beautiful genius named Jill the dog, who is an actress, according to her Wikipedia. Mm, as prolific as Bart the bear? No, she was only in a couple of films, but she definitely made an impression. Playing a male character in this film, Verdell. She made an impression on my life. D- did she do her own stunts? Her garbage shoot stunt? <laughs> I'm not sure. I need more information. I still have the tab up about Jill the dog. <sighs> well, we should try to loosely summarize it. How about I set us up with who the characters are and then somebody takes us from there. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. We've got M- Melvin Udall, Udall, played Udall. by Jack Nicholson, and he, he is a grumpy romance novelist living in a large Manhattan apartment and we are meant to perceive him as having OCD although this movie's depiction of OCD is pretty bad and I'll talk about that more (laughs) later and he's a grump and he has a gay neighbor named Simon played by Greg Kinnear who you might know from such films as Sabrina (laughs) the remake (laughs) Simon is a a gay artist who sketches and paints uh, uh, people. He likes to watch them and he wants them to act as though they don't know they're being watched, even though they're brought over to his apartment for the purpose of him watching them. Uh, but he wants to paint, and early in the film, uh, there's a he gets beaten by a boyfriend or a lover of by some guy he's Skeet painting. Ulrich's friends. Yeah, <laughs> and then rounding out the cast, we have Cuba Gooding Jr. as Frank, Simon's art manager, agent, protector, boyfriend, who knows? Everything fulfills multiple roles for Simon. And then we've got Helen Hunt as a patient waitress with a a son who she is definitely Munchausen's by proxying. That is my (laughs) conspiracy theory for this movie. (laughs) And and those are our three people who become unlikely friends through events that shall henceforth be described. Samantha mentioned that uh, we are supposed to perceive Melvin as having obsessive compulsive disorder. But Melvin's main problem is that he is a vile bigot who spews disgusting slurs at everyone around him. Also, (laughs) in the first two moments of the movie, he puts a small dog down a trash dispenser 
shoot. (laughs) (laughs) They're starting strong. But the goal of the movie is to try to redeem him by the end and show that, you know, he just needed his old heart softened a little bit and that everyone just needed to patiently endure his rampant sexism, (laughs) homophobia, and anti-Semitism long enough for him to, you know, realize that having a mental illness doesn't mean you have to be an asshole. Um, yeah. I Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> they go on a road trip. Sadie, you take it from here. <laughs> no, no. Well, okay. 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 So, <laughs> um, uh, it starts, obviously, with him throwing Simon Greg Kinnear's dog, Verdell, down a garbage chute. Um, and Cuba Gooding Jr. finds out. He's kind of, you know, the the manager protector of Simon. And he yells at, at Melvin. And Melvin's whole thing is that he is this terrible person who has OCD. He doesn't leave the house. And yet he writes beautiful prose. He writes these wonderful amazing romance novels that everyone just loses their mind over. But then when Simon is uh, robbed and is beaten half to death by this group of of young men, teens, he can't take care of Verdell. And so Cuba Gooding Jr. tasks Melvin with taking care of Verdell. And at first Melvin hates him. Verdell hates Melvin. Um, It's a whole mess. But then he becomes very good friends with this dog. This dog is suddenly just like obsessed with Melvin. And so when Greg Kinnear, Simon comes back and is kind of ready for his dog to to be returned to him, Verdell no longer cares about Simon, which would piss me off endlessly, endlessly. If I came back and somehow my bigot neighbor had been taking care of my pet and also that my pet now liked that bigot neighbor more than me, I would simply move to a different country. I don't know what I would do. Um, And meanwhile... Melvin is obsessed with this one restaurant. He goes there every day and he always gets waited on by Helen Hunt, um, who frequently has to leave early or, um, you know, has a lot of problems with her son, who they don't they're not super clear on what his illness is, but one thing that they do say is that he has very acute asthma, which causes like frequent pneumonia, fevers, things like that. I, I'm not 100%. This, this movie, they did zero medical research on anything, including the OCD. Um. <laughs> At one point, she's like, he had a panic attack and they gave us the wrong antibiotics. And it's like, you do not get antibiotics for a panic attack. <laughs> Madam. Yeah, he runs a fever at one point and has to go to the ER. Um, Anyway, so, but she puts up with Melvin in spite of the fact that he, his behavior is absolutely atrocious. And he just disgustingly insults some Jewish people and calls them slurs and runs them out of the restaurant. And instead of just being kicked out himself at that point, like... She like good humoredly is sort of like, oh, Melvin, you'll crank and kind of takes care of him. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he doesn't actually get kicked out of the restaurant until he visits later when she has decided to quit that job and take a job closer to her home so she can be closer to her asthmatic slash fevered slash panic attacking son and then melvin flips out and then they kick him out of the restaurant and everybody applauds which was one of the more relatable moments of this movie <laughs> but then uh, melvin hires a a personal doctor for helen hunt to take care of her son so that helen hunt can resume bringing bacon eggs fries coffee and toast uh, to Jack Nicholson every morning. Breakfast of champions. <laughs> yes. And um, Helen Hunt slash Carol. Her name's Carol in this, right? She um, is appreciative, but also kind of freaked out about this because it seems like a weird sugar daddy situation. And she's afraid mm -hmm. that he is going to expect more from her than bringing him his bacon. But her mom like is really like a pusher about it. So they accept the deal. And then she feels the obligated to go up. along. So somehow Cuba Gooding Jr., the manager also, he's figured out that he can bully this nasty old man, Melvin, after he rightfully hollers at him and threatens him about the situation with putting the dog down the garbage disposal. Oh, excuse me. That's the one that goes whir and like cuts your stuff up in the sink, right? The garbage chute. Um, he is terrible, but he was not so terrible that he put a dog in a garbage disposal. Let's be clear on that point. Anyway, Frank um, bullies Melvin into taking Simon, the gay artist, to go see his parents because Simon is broke now because he doesn't have health insurance. Like health insurance like drives the whole plot of this movie. Like Simon not having health insurance is why they have to go on this road trip because um, he's going to get money from his rich parents who hate him because they're homophobes. And the whole reason that Carol is on this trip is because she doesn't have like good enough health insurance for her son's needs. So anyway, they all get in this car that's like apparently Frank's car. He loans it to them and go on this trip to go visit the parents of Simon. And Carol gets all happy because she gets a call from her son. This is 1997, so I don't know how he called her, like, from the field in the middle of a soccer game. Because uh, were, were cell phones, like, a thing then? Anyway, very, she very answers it on a landline. cell phones. <laughs> she answers it on a landline at the hotel, and she's so thrilled that her son is playing soccer and made a goal that she wants to go out dancing. And Simon refuses to take her because his arm is broken, and he's nervous and sad about having to confront his homophobic parents. So... She tells Melvin that he is going to be her date. And this is where it becomes apparent, like before this part, I really did think that whatever was between them was platonic. Like I thought that he just liked yeah. the way that she dealt with him and that like he liked his routine and he didn't want anything more from her. But they go, he showers for like three hours and then they go to a restaurant and he's doing a weird impression of being OCD and he runs out to buy a coat and tie because he won't take the one given to him at the restaurant. And then he uh, insults uh, it, it's just her really weird. The banter between him and Carol. Yeah, he insults her a bunch more. And then she sits next to him and kisses him. Oh, because he tells her that she makes him want to be a better man, which like, oh, God, Carol, like, oh, baby. Anyway, but then he insults her again and then she leaves the restaurant and she goes back and stays in Simon's room and then she decides she's going to take a bath with the door open in front of Simon because that's what you do if you're a cis woman with gay men. I don't know. It was strange. But Simon suddenly gets his mojo back and is like, 
I am an artist. I have to draw you. So like he draws her naked all night. And then Melvin comes in in the next morning and is all like, did you sleep with her? And is like mad about it. Then they go back home. Then Carol tells Melvin she never wants to speak to or see him again. Then Simon moves in with Melvin because he doesn't have his apartment anymore because his agent sold it out from under him. And now Verdell and Simon and Melvin live together. And then Carol calls Melvin and goes through a long spiel and then tells him that she doesn't think they have a good relationship and she doesn't want to have contact with him anymore. But Simon talks Melvin into making a bold romantic comedy gesture like aka completely ignore her boundaries and show up at her place at four in the morning and insist on seeing her and then her mom comes out and encourages this Uh, (laughs) samantha since you just recently saw it about 10 minutes ago do you want to tell us about the the final kiss the trauma is very fresh yeah no the mom (laughs) who looks to be about the same age as jack nicholson is like pumping her fist to like, yes, like my daughter is gonna gonna marry a man the same age as me. And they go on a walk through New York and we're meant to see, oh, look, love is curing him of OCD because now he can step on cracks in the sidewalk and walk in the street, uh, which is definitely not how OCD works. And then um, they like talk some more and hash things out. He's like, oh, I'm gonna give you a compliment. She's like, look, like I enjoy your company and stuff but whatever this is really isn't gonna work and then he's like but nobody else knows how great you are and Uh I can see that you're the greatest woman in the world and it makes me feel so good because I'm the only one who gets it and then somehow this just completely melts her and then he does a really awkward old man kiss that she is not impressed by and then he says I can do better than that and um, kisses her again exactly the same way, except he grabs her harder and then they're like in love. And then they eat fresh baked rolls and maybe the only good, uh, well, we don't get to see (laughs) them eat the fresh baked rolls, but the idea of them getting to eat fresh baked rolls was maybe the most uh, pleasant part of the movie for me. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for for taking us home, Jen. I was... (laughs) (laughs) dreading getting through the returning through the rest of the plot and did i read this right did he at one point essentially admit that he was trying to like conversion therapy simon with yeah her that's how that's what he said that made her leave the restaurant because she asked why did he want her to come along on the trip and she weirdly seemingly out of nowhere is like that one sip of a cocktail she took must have done more than any cocktail I've ever drank in my life for her because she suddenly is like sexually into him when he walks back in in his new coat and tie and she's like clearly sort of trying to bait him into telling her that like he's interested in her romantically that he wants her to spend the night with him or whatever but instead he says that it it occurred to him that maybe she would sleep with Simon and then like he would be straight Uh. and like his parents wouldn't have an issue with him anymore and She responds to this like, like sort of like, so you like think I'm a prostitute kind of as like her offense with this. Uh, it was really strange. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Sadie, how did you, how did as good as it gets sit with you? I am so glad that you asked. <laughs> well, so <laughs> I watched this movie again. I've seen this movie many times, but I watched it most recently with my mom and she loves this movie. And as most um, middle-aged to older white women do, 
<laughs> they love Jack Nicholson. Uh, Jack Nicholson just is just the best person in the world to them. Um, I I find this movie so fascinating because it is so good in some ways and so incredibly bad and terrible and painful and cringy in others. <laughs> like, I, I think that Helen Hunt and Greg Kinnear are so good in this. I think that they, I think, you know, she definitely deserved all of the awards that she got. And I think it's, it's, it's the most, like, this is a movie that could have only existed in the 90s kind of movie, you know? <laughs> like, it was at a time where gay people existed and could live openly, but you didn't have to fucking like it. <laughs> like, it, like, it was, it was like, you know, you're expected to think like, oh my god, like, that's kind of terrible. But also, you're kind of supposed to not really like gay people either. <laughs> Watching this movie, yeah, it's like Simon's um, Simon's gayness was treated as much or more of a social liability than Melvin being just like a raging bigot, just spewing slurs everywhere yeah. he went. Yeah, and Greg Kinnear's portrayal, while good, th there's some classic like things straight actors do to try to play gay and his performance. I'm thinking of a scene early on when we first see him like open the door at the party and he as he's turning, he just like lifts up his chin ever so like ever so daintily and like turns, you know, it feels like the sort of choice that a straight actor would make being like, oh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna make this <laughs> moment really really gay and then they'll give me the oscar for it <laughs> and damn i mean i guess he had the right idea even though he's apparently the only one of the three who didn't get an oscar for this movie and he also is there as like again you're like classic like from the 90s magical gay character who is there to help advise and like save the straight people's relationship or or foment that scenario rather than you know getting a story arc of his own yeah at the end of the movie he is <laughs> homeless his dog loves another person more than him like everything has been taken away from him in his life uh, he hasn't even really meaningfully reconnected with his parents and he's just like go get him tiger like <laughs> I'll be fine here so what if this was just the lead into another movie where while Melvin is out of the apartment wooing Carol that night Simon like calls in a locksmith to change the locks and like just takes over Melvin's apartment and acts like he doesn't know him mm. I was picturing like a like a, a single white female scenario or whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, gay white man. Uh, <laughs> but I, it does feel like it could be set up for a sitcom, you know? Uh, look at Jack Nicholson and Greg Kinnear and their dog. It was very like, yeah, two men and a baby when they returned from the road trip um, to come home to Verdell. I, it, it, <laughs> the, the crux of the problem, imagine me holding both of my hands together in like a like a chef's kiss esque thing like the crux of the problem here with this movie is that i mm, don't like you're doing an ipod presentation steve jobs style <laughs> on a stage yes like i am steve jobs <laughs> um 
I don't understand the central romance at the core of this movie at all. I don't understand it. There's a scene where, well, it's the dinner scene where where they're um, having dinner together. And she says, when you first walked in, I actually thought you were very handsome, but then you opened your mouth. And I'm like, ma'am, oh my I'm God. sorry. You thought that he was, I mean, no offense to Jack Nicholson, who, who you know, I'm sure that if you are also, were also 65, then I'm sure that you found Jack Nicholson very hot. <laughs> But he is not the kind of older man that younger women are into. I'm sorry. He is literally wearing um, the Ron Swanson after sex outfit with the red (laughs) polo shirt and khakis at one point in this movie. He looks like a Komodo dragon that figured out how to put on khakis. You know? It's wild because, okay, we were a little bit um, confused about the, the what ages like um, these guys were supposed to be. And when we were talking, um, when this movie was suggested on our Discord server, uh, how do you get on our Discord server? Oh, you join our Patreon, patreon.com slash Y-S-S-T-O-G. You answer our riddles three. And then you can hear us be mad at you for picking as good as it gets for us to cover on the podcast. We, we still love you, by the way, Xenalon. We still love Andrew, too. Damn, we really Our we love take is a lot eternal of and undying. For the- <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, but um, one of our uh, one of our Patreon supporters on the Discord pointed out that I believe like Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn were the same age apart in Charade as Helen Hunt and Jack Nicholson are in this. Oh, interesting. Wild because okay, so Helen Hunt. She is playing like they've got her made up to look more tired and worn and not as good as she really does. And even so, she is a beautiful woman. And apparently she was 35 years old when this movie was made. Jack Nicholson was 60. Something on Google told me that his character in this movie is supposed to be 45. I don't know if I believe that. This movie would have made a lot more sense to me if that character had been played by a 45-year-old actor. But I mean, I, I just don't... Guys, it would take a really special 60-year-old man for me to feel a flutter about, um, much less whatever is happening in this movie. Like a nasty, bigoted 60-year-old man. I don't know. It, it boggles my mind because I don't think he's like ugly he just looks kind of like when he smiles you can see like the devil in his eyes (laughs) (laughs) he looks like a komodo dragon like you said and maybe he has like the bill clinton thing in person where people say just like the charisma just overwhelms you Mm, like i yeah i can't see it in pictures um a movie that my mom also really likes is one of jack nicholson's earlier movies it was made in 1978 and it is called going south it's like a western romantic comedy i haven't seen it in quite a few years i remember it being pretty good and funny but um even then so he's like pretty young in that movie Um, Um, And it's still like, there's just the way that he looks like he's definitely not ugly. But like, if I lived with him, and every time I turned a corner and I saw him, I'd be like, Oh, shit. (laughs) Like, 
It's just kind of like shocking. There's a reason he was such a good Joker and why The Shining was such an iconic movie. Yeah, you've got to cast him in stuff where he has an undercurrent of menace that then comes out and just becomes full-blown menace. I'm not sure I buy them being like, he's menacing and evil, and then by the end, he's just a a doddering old fool who... Well, I keep thinking too. I thought it was interesting um, that also he's... I actually still have never seen The Shining. I'm waiting to watch it with Samantha. One night I wanted to watch it. See, I'm fine while I watch horror movies actually, but then afterwards I won't be able to sleep for like 13 days or so. And so one time I got my husband to describe the plot of The Shining to me when it was Halloween season. And there was this truly scary little like Frankenstein baby doll decoration in a christening gown out in front of one of the neighbor's houses. And I thought I was fine. But then I woke up in the middle of the night and was convinced that that Frankenstein doll had cut our power and was coming to kill me. So I still haven't watched The Shining. But I could really see like this situation, like Helen Hunt gets with him and then chooses to move in with him. And then he's like, we need to go stay in like an old hotel for a few months for me to like (laughs) write my next romance novel. And then there you go. I, it's just like the logistics of them together make no sense. Like I, I, I cannot think off of the top of my head, a movie where I was more like, there's no way that these two will actually end up together long term. Like it just, doesn't make sense. He is much older than her. Um, two, he is definitely not parent material. I'm I I'm pretty sure. No. Um, you're gonna let this guy loose at little Spence's soccer games? Yeah. Like this is not my good woman. No. It's not. <laughs> it's not making sense in my brain. Um, and also I just another thing is in my opinion they don't do good enough of a job showing that he's changed or that he actually has changed his views like um at the at the beginning when he walks into the restaurant and he says those incredibly terrible anti-semitic things we it's not like we get a a second shot with a group of jewish people where it shows that he's like (laughs) oh wow jewish people are humans actually like we never circle back to that so theoretically he ends the movie just as anti-semitic as he began the movie and the same kind of goes for even his homophobia you know we know now that he lives with a guy who is gay and yet you know i guess he's he's reached the level that we could expect of people in the 90s in terms of tolerance (laughs) but he is in no way actually accepting you know like um he still is terrified of Simon's like jokingly hitting on him yeah. and you know like acts like he's going to get the gay cooties at any second and if, like Simon steps too near him or <laughs> And also there's that scene where he um I guess he's at his publisher's uh building and there is a secretary there who Um, is just gooped and gagged because she's never met him before, but she loves his books. And she's like, how do you write women so well? And he's like, I just write men, but I take away all reason and all their good qualities and it's like oh cool sick like that like he doesn't change his (laughs) mind about that later like 
You know what I mean? Those things don't go away. If this were in 2020, there would be like a 10,000 word article on the cut, like exposing <laughs> Melvin Udall for all of this <laughs> horrific shit. <laughs> He's And rightfully so. <laughs> <sighs> so Melvin sucks. Um, I guess we can take a break from talking about how much Melvin sucks for an instant to maybe talk about some of the other characters. I am going to mention, because I completely forgot about this in the summary, um, about somebody else who briefly sucked and then exited the movie, was that Melvin's really only other romantic uh, competition um, in this film. He's worried about Simon, who is gay and not interested in Helen Hunt in the way that Melvin apparently is. But earlier on, Carol has a date with like this handsome young guy. But then they go back to her place after. And I don't even know why she agreed to that because she lives in a really small apartment with her interesting mother and her little sick son. And they start like going at it on the couch. And the absolute worst kiss I have ever seen committed to film occurs when this guy starts like licking her forehead. Mm. And, so. then, and then she goes to take care of Spencer, who throws <laughs> up on her because she's definitely been force feeding him emetic drugs to uh, <laughs> perpetuate an illness that doesn't exist. And uh, then she's like a sorry it's just a little bit of throw up and he's like that's just a little too much realness for friday night sweetheart and he <laughs> bounces and it's like what don't you work in finance or something why didn't you take her to your place or a hotel or something but anyway so i'm trying really hard not to say the the word samantha that i um have been using Please. lately for no. old menish characters let's say but as i said though people this who guy put really doesn't yeah this guy is not like he doesn't have the level of like sort of weird wholesomeness to compare to Cary grant and charade you know like melvin like i don't think that the way he smelled would be pleasant mm. even though he obviously has impeccable hygiene his most pop pop moment is probably <laughs> i said it i will wash my mouth out with listerine after this um is when he's driving the convertible with his little driving gloves and he has like seven cds for every mood that's his yep. pop pop as it gets because the thing with pop pops is it's like the way that i measure it is like because again i'm not really into Oh, I'm not I'm not a George Clooney fan, you know, whatever. But like with Cary Grant, it's like, oh, I can see that like if I were into older men or if I were an older person, I would be so into that. So into that. But with Jack Nicholson in um, this movie, it's like this is just what my uncle looks like. You know, like <laughs> this is this is just what my old uncle looks like. I uh, I yeah. actually I'm, like the I, old uncle that I, you do not want to have to sit next to at Thanksgiving. Yes, that's this guy. Yes. Okay. So so I was like to your earlier point. If we never see him change, I definitely want a uh, a Jack Nicholson baby woke uh, epilogue <laughs> to this movie where he like walks in the diner and he's like Shabbat Shalom, everyone. 
again and uh, you know he's he's he asks Simon his preferred pronouns and like all of this kind of stuff I tweeted about this but there was actually this moment in the diner where he's like begrudgingly decided that he's gonna drive to Baltimore and he tells Helen Hunt like I'm going to give my queer neighbor a lift to Baltimore. (laughs) And it's supposed to read as a slur, but now that the word queer has been reappropriated and converted into this beautiful umbrella term, it actually just sounds like he's like being being nice. (laughs) I, um, I don't know if we're, if we're quite ready yet to get into other guys, but um, I actually have a very strong case for another guy. Um, if we, oh, if I'm we'd excited. like to Let's dive into it. it. So Let's well, go there. my other guy is Simon. It is Simon and Helen Hunt. And let hmm. me, allow me to explain. So the scene that I'm most using for my evidence is when they are um, on their road trip and Melvin has completely fucked things up with with Helen Hunt and she goes back to the hotel and um, Greg Kinnear draws her while she's sitting on the bathtub and it's like this really sensitive moment of like, you know, I don't know, like trust and like this soft moment where she trusts him to to draw her like this. And then um, the next day, Melvin walks in and he's like, did you have sex with her? And she's like, no, it was better. We held each other. And she and she's like, he gave me things that you'll never be able to give me. Like, bro. Yes, I I was thinking back to um, our Eurovision episode with uh, oh my god, I can't remember oh, his yeah. name. Oh yeah, Alexander. It was something that sounded like a line. Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens. Uh, yeah. yeah. Where it's like, what was his character name? Petrol. Uh, petrol. Petrol. <laughs> petrol. Petrol lion at the Russians. <laughs> You know, like, like Lemkov, Lemkov, Lemkov. Alexander Lemkov. Like, it's one of those things where I, I obviously don't want to erase the identity of the character. Like, yes, he is gay. However, um, she would be much happier just living with him. Like, if they all just lived together in, like, yeah. polycule is not the right word. Or maybe it is. But just, like, a little, okay. a little Simon, community. Simon would be a fantastic father to little Spence. Like, can you imagine, like, the snacks Simon would pack for the soccer games? He would be mm-hmm. out there cheering in the stands and stuff. Ugh, I think yeah. it would be perfect. And like, So are we proposing a marriage of convenience scenario? Or are yes. we proposing that Helen Hunt be uh, 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 his uh, hag, as uh, <laughs> the saying goes. I am proposing that they be best best friends and platonic soulmates and platonic marriage partners, which is very common well, now and like very cool and convenient and wonderful. Um, I'm proposing that they do get married. However, of course, they will eventually find partners of their own. Um, Hopefully she will find one that is more her fit to her lifestyle. And he will, of course, eventually 
get together with Cuba Gooding Jr. because we can all tell that that's going to happen down the road. I would love to see that rom-com. Um, and and then they just like kind of share spins. And it's like he has now, you know, like they have this kid and they can take care of him together. And no, Simon no, no. has this We need to get kid. Spence the fuck away from Helen Hunt. Did you notice how <laughs> he was he was well enough to play soccer outdoors when, when she, she was in Baltimore, mm, when she wasn't there like to, <laughs> to feed sharp him? Sharp objects here. <laughs> And her mom knows about it, but is like too cowardly to stand up and do anything about it because the mom is dependent on, you know, yeah. sort of like the the husband in Sharp Objects looks away from Patricia Clarkson's doings. That like Damn. needs to be the big That's reveal why the, the mom is so like hardcore pushing for Helen Hunt to go out with this old man and like get another focus of interest. Yeah. I mean, look. Uh, obviously like very acute asthma is a real health condition and I'm not besmirching that at all but the they what's depicted on screen here doesn't seem like acute asthma it just seems like the writers were like I don't know he's sick okay like a lot of stuff is wrong and we never get follow-up on it the doctor is like I'm gonna run blood tests and allergy tests and um and then he just leaves yeah I want answers about what <laughs> Helen Hunt is doing to her <laughs> the doctor calls while they're on the road trip and it's like Helen Hunt's mom I have some bad news all the tests came back normal except for the toxicology report <laughs> yes <laughs> That should be the end. We were talking about how it should have had an after credit sequence. It should be Dr. Betts in his office late at night pouring over the results. And he's like, normal, normal, normal. And then we see him read a page that says toxicology. And it's like, you know, she's feeding him like. Now there's an Oscar worthy plot twist. So apparently for the Oscars that year, this is one of the handful or the few times, according to Wikipedia, that the same film has won an Oscar for both Best Actor and Best Actress. And that was Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt here. But Titanic beat it out for Best Picture. Yeah. Uh, that, I that, mean, I, the fact that it was nominated. <laughs> <laughs> I... Again, I do think that they were great in their roles, I think. I don't know. I, I, I do feel like Jack Nicholson really played it too unforgivable. Like, way too unforgivable. <laughs> um, untenable, dare I say. Um, but... Also, it is just so refreshing to rem to remember a time when rom-coms were like regularly just in the Oscars sphere, like they were nominated. I get that this is, you know, this is a rom-com dramedy, a rom-com comedy. Um <laughs> <laughs> You nailed it. <laughs> Portmanteau. <Thank> <laughs> blown out of the water <laughs> stick the landing sadie for the love of god <laughs> um but yeah i refreshing to remember even though i was only a year old 
<laughs> I will say there are some laudatory things about the movie. I think it's really good at capturing like a certain kind of like alienation that all the characters are feeling. And then it's ultimately kind of a chosen family story that kind of gets ruined with um, the romance element. But I think like the nice things I have to say about it sort of stop there because it sort of belongs to this like, I don't know. You know when like like people with lots of prejudiced opinions will say stuff like, well, like, or even just like centrists will be like, well, if we all just talked to each other more, like maybe we could <laughs> heal our differences. This kind of seems like what they're imagining of like, well, all the like, all the minorities just need to let everybody else get all the slurs and prejudiced assumptions out of their system. And then maybe we can all yeah. move on except they won't yeah. stop saying them but you'll like this each was, other this somehow was like for some reason the, the politics of tolerance you know like you don't have to like us just tolerate us and it's like fuck you man if you put my dog down the garbage chute i'm gonna kill you yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously like we uh. there is nothing that you can do after to, to make us become friends again. But if you were to try to take steps to become friends again after putting my dog down the garbage chute, it would not be any of the things that Melvin then did to Simon after he put Verdell in the garbage chute. Yeah. Like, I mean, he calls him yeah. like, like I... I, I went into this remembering that he said a lot of terrible things, but my God, the slurs of this movie in, you know, like, whoa, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. Okay. So like the wildest thing to me, like, wow, like changing times, difference between 1997 and today is that I'm on the Wikipedia page again, looking at the list of accolades and this movie did not win, but in, for that year, it was nominated for a glad award what? for outstanding film i mean you gotta give me a minute 97 everybody did it also win uh, the national mental health associations award for <laughs> best depiction so of and apparently OCD? this movie is like this movie is like about 12 days older than sadie it came out on uh <laughs> christmas eve eve in 1997 <laughs> hey i was a year older i'm a year older how dare you oh yeah you were born at the end of 96 okay yeah. sadie was probably like toddling a little bit by then <laughs> Watching her first Jack Nicholson movies. I did... <laughs> I did want to, uh, I've hinted towards it multiple times, but I will devote some time to complaining about the, the depiction of OCD, which is very influential, this movie's depiction of it. And it seems to be the idea of like, oh, he washes his hands and he can't step on cracks in the sidewalk and he has to count things. And uh, and he's a little quirky and weird. Uh, see also matchstick men with Nicolas Cage and there's no real depiction of sort of the interiority of it sorry there's a Verdell in my um, hall Uh, it um make sure somebody's not trying to dump him down the garbage chute Samantha my my building is too old to have a garbage chute (laughs) there 
their little cubbies in the hallway outside that were once used for garbage collection. That's how ancient of a building. Please I take a picture and show keep me screaming, after this. Make sure he's not stuck in there. <laughs> but yeah, I felt like it kind of um, this movie it. it Tempted, I'm not sure that it, it, it sort of, it implied that the bigotry of Jack Nicholson's character was not necessarily caused by his OCD, but was like a coping tactic for him to be so unpleasant that he kept other people away from him. Yeah. But- Again, like we said, there's no sign of recognition or acceptance of that or growth. It's just like, oh, I like Helen Hunt, so I started taking pills now. Yeah, they seem to be like mixing up OCD stereotypes and like Tourette's stereotypes and just like... I don't know. But it also kind of reminds me, have either of you seen Liar Liar, the Jim Carrey movie? Yes, I have not. So in that movie, Jim Carrey by a magical curse or something is like forbidden from lying because he's a lawyer and he needs to learn a lesson about like taking care of his son or something, right? Do I have it right? (laughs) Yes, that's correct. I don't know, Sadie. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. For verify. Yeah, but what um, instead of like just like telling the truth and not lying, the movie for comedic effect seems to like take that to mean that he has to be an enormous asshole to everyone, you know? So, like, um, you know, like he'll get in the elevator with a co worker and she'll be like, I really like this dress. What do you think? And he'll he'll be like, I think it makes you look like a fat old cow, you loser. And it's like, Jesus. okay, that's like apparently what it means for you not to lie. It's- and that's like what humor or like people thought that was funny in like 1997 I I guess guess, but this movie kind of reminds me of that in that they're like well he has OCD so that sort of means that he's gonna be mean to everybody and he's gonna say the worst possible thing and that's weird Anyway, yo, that's where, anyway, the title, he says the title in the movie. He comes out, okay, so he goes to see a psychiatrist without an appointment, right? And of course, obviously doesn't get seen, but then he comes out to the people in the waiting room who are all like upset, nervous looking psych patients in there waiting to see their doctor. And he's like, what if this is as good as it gets? (laughs) And... (laughs) And my partner cannot get the fuck over that. Since I started watching this movie two days ago, he keeps trying to like slip terrible. Like, well, did you watch any more of that movie? Did it get any better? Or is that as good as it gets (laughs) on me? And I don't think this is going to stop for like a week. When I watched this movie (laughs) with my mom, she literally paused the movie and turned to or Yeah, she paused the movie and turned to me and was like, it that line is so good. Like she, like <laughs> once again, I feel like I, the old, the old white women of the world. Just this movie just hits it. Like this movie, <laughs> the, the Venn diagram, right, of movies that both I and old white women think are great. The, in the center is Baby Boom, starring Diane Keaton. And on their side is every other, is most Jack Nicholson movies. <laughs> Sadie is back on the iPhone oh stage God. showing us a, a chart. <laughs> so... 
obviously we're going to have to follow this up, right? With, um, which I also have never seen yet, but something's got to give the one where Diane Keaton picks between Jack Nicholson and Keanu Reeves. Imagine. What is that like? The battle of boomer women's taste versus Gen X and millennial women. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Imagine my surprise when Xenalon picked As Good As It Gets and I thought that it was going to be something's gotta give <laughs> and it turned out to be <laughs> this. But I sort of have this like loose memory of the opening scenes of it, of like the hand washing scene and all that. Because uh, I feel like it played in some lifetime appreciation reel for Jack Nicholson or something. Anyway. I feel like if I understood more about filmmaking, that there would be more to appreciate about this movie too. Because there were like a lot of cool shots, kind of the way uh, it would move through the interior spaces. And there were a lot of cool interior spaces. Like, I don't know how much they shelled out on that hotel they stay at on the road trip, um, you know, where Simon draws Carol all night and stuff. But this movie was like good to look at. If maybe if you just turn the, sometimes I'll do that. I'll watch a movie on mute and just play music. And maybe that would improve the experience. Yeah. <laughs> or play it without the sound and without the video. That's a great Oh, yeah. Thing. <laughs> that's what, what I mean. Oh, <laughs> without the video. <laughs> Samantha, you were a scamp. Also, I would like to let everyone know that Samantha pre-April fools me night before last because we were wondering about the age or whatever, how old Melvin was supposed to be in this movie. And I looked it up on Google and found the 45 years old answer. Samantha said that Jack Nicholson was born 65, meaning that he emerged from the womb at 65 years of age, yeah. which I buy. That makes a lot of sense, actually. But when I read this, I thought she meant Jack Nicholson was born in 1965. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I know that man did some cocaine, but good goddamn. Like, I, I really, I believed. Definitely For like not. a whole, like half a minute until I Googled it. Jack he was actually born in 1937. He is Nosferatu. He is, he is an immortal <laughs> vampire. He is allegedly born in 1987. Is he dead? I mean, 19, 1937. I just said 87. Did Jack Nicholson die? He's not dead. Is no, he? he's I'm not. looking him up again. He's still... I feel like we he's, would see. He's alive and well. He's 83 years old. He was born on April 22nd. I believe that makes him a Taurus. He has one, two, three, four, five children and one spouse from 1962 to 1968. His smile is menacing, even when he appears to be genuinely happy. I like how he got nominated for a bunch of Oscars just playing like variations on a misanthrope and then just like has spent the last 20 years just in that. Uh, uh, I wanted to say curbside. That's how much the pandemic has broken my brain. Courtside seats at Lakers games. Like that's been his, that's his life, you know? Yeah. When he dies, I hope that the appreciation reel is half his movies and half just paparazzi shots of him drinking an enormous soda uh, at, a Lake, <laughs> at the Lakers games. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think about who would be like our modern day equivalent of Jack Nicholson. Like Jesse Eisenberg sprang into my mind, but he doesn't have the like um, sexual Lothario reputation, but he definitely gets cast as unpleasant villains a lot. Wow, hmm. that is fascinating that you say Jesse Eisenberg. I don't have a follow up quite yet, but I just wanted to acknowledge that that was a good choice. <laughs> we'll be thinking about that, but... <laughs> 
<sighs> this movie really bugs me, y'all. And I, I, I wanted to say one more thing about the OCD thing, which is when I was um, in the Mormon faith and trying to be very devout, I experienced... Um, uh, it's a variation of OCD called religious OCD, ROCD. It's on Wikipedia. You can look it up. But it's basically like you are living in fear of punishment from God unless you do things in a very specific way. And it was debilitating. Like at, at college, I felt like, oh, I have to like pray to figure out which sidewalk to take back to my apartment or else like God is going to like like punish me or something mm-hmm. like in, in like wild stuff absurd stuff that you look back on it now and you laugh that like you ever thought that way or allowed your brain to think that way and so it's so annoying to me that no like filmic depiction of OCD at least mainstream has ever like tried even to get close to like the mental agony and is always just focused on like the rites rituals like aspect of it where it's like yeah "Yeah, oh he's not stepping on cracks the reason he's not stepping on cracks is because he's like worried that he'll be struck dead or something he if he's, he's gonna, gonna fucking die yeah yeah and that's terrifying <laughs> to live that way like, the bigotry like i honestly don't know if i am acquainted with a neurotypical person um but my friend who uh who has ocd and i don't know if that it is like the nicest person in the fucking world to other people would never dream of you know like that that's not how it is expressed by like being just a nasty asshole to everybody and and yeah. it has been really you know difficult and damaging for them and caused them a lot of suffering personally and but I, not to all the people around them i'm sure that this movie also when it came out really negatively impacted the ocd community Like, I'm sure that, you know, after this, it was kind of just like a lot of people just assumed that if you had OCD, then you were also just like a massive fucking asshole when like, (laughs) no, that's just like, (laughs) it's never really explained also why. Well, I guess they're trying to say that the reason that he's such an asshole is because he has OCD, but that's not, that's not true. And so like, where did it come from? And like, why does he think that it's okay So like at the end, it's like, I'm not happy that he got with her because he like, sure, there's like this sign or whatever that like, he's taking his medication and whatever but that medication doesn't make you less of like a fuck face. Like it doesn't make you less of a bad person. Okay, this is so true, but I do just want to bring up that it occurred to me because I was thinking the same thing, but that we are watching this. Well, Sadie has watched it before throughout her life, but I am watching this through 2021 eyes. And it's kind of, this was nominated for a GLAAD award. It's depressing in hindsight, but like, for instance, the L word. 2004 meant so fucking much to me. I was obsessed with it as a baby bisexual who just thought that like that's how straight girls were. And um, I can also see this being really important to people who, you know, were getting to see some sort of representation for the first time, even if it was Jack Nicholson being a bigot. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's a testament to just how dire LGBT representation (laughs) and 
film was at the time. Although, like, there was, like, good independent gay cinema in the 90s, and maybe that speaks to a a larger conversation about LGBT representation and how much, you know, people tried to court mainstream. Well, it is so wild. Like, obviously, you know, you don't have to be gay to play a gay character. You don't have to, you know, you can be gay and play a straight character, obviously. But currently, it's so much of a bigger deal to try to cast, if you're casting somebody from, uh, you know, an underrepresented population, to try to cast an actor who is from that population or has familiarity with it. And like when we talked to um, Atoje Abbott um, early this year about um, his 2020 Netflix film, A New York Christmas Wedding, sometimes you're in kind of a bad position as a filmmaker because you want to cast a queer person to play a queer person, but you can't get a queer person to sign on for it, you know? And sometimes there's issues like that. But with big budget stuff like this, you feel like they have a lot more resources to go towards casting. But in 1997, like, it's kind of, okay, so when did My Best Friend's Wedding came out in 1998, right? Where uh, Rupert Everett was in it. Rupert Everett was like the only think person in the late 90s, right? My Best Friend's Wedding was like the same year, I believe. So it was right around the same time. And it had a gay character played by a gay actor. But I guess Rupert Everett was like your guy then if you wanted if you wanted a gay male lead. Um, but it was, and I really, I do think Greg Kinnear, bless his big blue-eyed soul, he, he really tried to do this respectfully and like play the character well. But it was kind of hilarious. Like Skeet Ulrich is very hot, but definitely has like a, a skeevy menace to him, you know? Um, a, different from Jack Nicholson but like they could easily star in a horror movie together but that was kind of hilarious to see him being like picked up as like uh, you know a street prostitute like that it was weird (laughs) what is the logic behind putting greg kinnear in things not that he's not bad it just feels like people just put him in everything just like as a general purpose seasoning almost like (laughs) Oh, we need someone to play a hot millionaire playboy? Greg Kinnear. We need someone to play a gay <laughs> artist? Greg Kinnear. How about a like a CIA uh, like bureaucrat who's secretly a dub- menacing double agent? I don't know. Greg Kinnear. Like, I feel like also he must you've just got be a very pleasant person to work with. A yeah. communist Luddite. He, he was our other guy in You've Got Mail. He was a typewriter obsessed. Um, yeah. He really should have broken up with Meg Ryan. Ryan when he found out that she didn't vote I instead think- of letting her sort of break up with him i actually like greg kinnear in so much of what he's in i think his my favorite role of his is where he plays the um self-help obsessed suburban dad in little miss sunshine opposite tony collette and steve carell (laughs) that movie hits (laughs) i forgot he was in that which should honestly be the title of greg kinnear's memoir (laughs) i forgot he was in that the greg kinnear story (laughs) like he is somehow in every movie and yet immediately after you finish watching it someone could ask you is greg kinnear in that and you'd be like i don't maybe isn't he isn't he in lots of movies (laughs) 
I'm trying to think of more actors oh, or actresses Greg. that kind of uh, fill that role as well. Judy Greer is famously in like yeah. everything that's yeah. ever been made. But like, I feel uh, like Jim I... Cusack was like always, well, except for the Adams Family. She's like, usually plays the best friend of the romantic lead. I, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like one of the Skarsgård okay, brothers. Okay, so what? Also do, most of the Skarsgård brothers <laughs> do that Oh, yeah. Me. Wait, the one who plays like all the who plays Pennywise and stuff, or I um, now I dad also is in the mix there. <laughs> Bill Skarsgård <laughs> has a very specific look to him. I feel like I have his entire filmography he's in, burned he's the into my brain. Guy. But the others, <laughs> I couldn't tell them apart. If you gave me a million dollars, they must have really great agents. Um, you know, Greg Kinnear, Judy Greer, and and these other ubiquitous folks. They must just have. Agents who are just constantly working the phones, just like, (laughs) you've got a spy thriller. My man, Greg Kinnear, is good for it. (laughs) You've got a sensitive melodrama. Greg Kinnear, of course you've got to have a little Greggy in there. (laughs) It's like Cuba Gooding Jr., like, but the, like a good agent. Was he in Sliding Doors? that was kind of hilarious, though, how... No, no, that was... Greg Kinnear? Greg Kinnear? That wasn't, that wasn't him. (laughs) That was someone else. (laughs) That was... Man, what was his name? Like Gary in that movie? What a wishy-washy, flippity-floppity flobber. His agent just has a sign on his desk that says, it's not a movie unless Greg Kinnear is in it. That's his <laughs> That's his motto. Damn. <laughs> it sells me. But okay, but Cuba Gooding Jr. is the agent, right? They, uh, He and the other, like, the art gallerist or whatever, who dealt with Simon in a professional capacity, were kind of vilified by this movie for, like, bouncing out on Simon when he didn't have money anymore. But it was like their professional colleagues, not like friends. So, yeah. And also, like, Frank did a lot more. Like, I mean, it arguably, it really was kind of despicable to like saddle Simon with this horrific, nasty neighbor who uh, tried to hurt his dog. And especially to put the dog in the custody of this man. But overlooking that, like in the logic, this movie kind of wants you to follow, like Frank did more than he had to once he wasn't, you know, monetarily contracted anymore. Yeah. Uh, I forgot for a second that we had to talk about his good as it gets. <laughs> Oh, I'm bringing us back, Samantha. Uh, I don't know what else I have to say about it, as good as it gets. <laughs> My heart is empty. Are we are we ready to <laughs> to rate? I will say one more thing about this movie. This movie falls into the category of like your parents forced you to watch it so many times growing up that now you just like it by proxy, like a like a um, Pavlovian response. <laughs> So I don't. Oh, that's exactly right. (laughs) Like I don't like this movie, but also when it's on, I enjoy it (laughs) despite myself. (laughs) No, Sadie, it's like um, that moment you described where your mom paused the movie and was like, "That's a really great line." Like. There's so many movies like that where they're like boomer parent movies where they've showed them to you a gazillion, like you said, so that you're not sure is, was this a good movie or was I just like forced to watch this Clockwork Orange style like 17 times as a child? I gotta say, I did kind of, I don't know if like 
like is the right word because I don't know if it was enjoyment, but I appreciated the road trip on the way out scene when they're in the car and um, Carol and Simon are talking about their ish, you know, and Simon is talking about his nasty homophobic parents and how that's affected him. And Carol is trying to say something comforting. And Jack Nicholson comes in interrupting to say something fucking assholey because he thinks that he can somehow control the human condition by describing it in like a really uncharitable way. And they're both like, no, that's not it at all, actually. And I feel like in a 2021 world, certainly, and perhaps even in 1997, the movie could have benefited from more characters telling Jack Nicholson to shut the fuck up. He was wrong about everything. Yeah, he needs to get dressed down one one or two more times in the movie for the balance of power to feel right, (laughs) you know? Because it's still, she's setting herself up. And well, I mean, honestly, I imagine that's why the movie cut off when it did, when they went in to get the warm rolls or whatever from the bakery. Because you, he's probably going to say something else awful in there. And she's going to be like, oh my God, get the fuck away from me. Or they're going to go home. How long is this going to last? Like a week? A month? How much is she going to put up with being this sort of secondary girlfriend mother figure to Jack Nicholson's character where she teaches him how to behave? How is that going to work? And she still is like financially obligated to him because he's paying for her son's medical care. Uh. So this is just really iffy ethics upon which to it would have base just a been relationship. So much better if they just hadn't been a romantic co- like if it if it hadn't been romantic yeah i actually i could have been into this even the way i i think they should have fucking lightened up on the slurs because we can get the idea that somebody's a really shitty asshole without having to actually depict violent slurs on the film you know but yeah if this had been more like samantha said like a found family thing with the three of them where they all have a bond and support each other but they didn't wedge the romance in there I would feel a lot better about it overall. I think at the end, she's going to start Munchausen-zing him too. She'll start putting <laughs> poisons in his soup. Like a phantom thread. Here to give him a chronic illness. <laughs> oh no. Nobody's going to find out. Maybe he'll even die first. But when Verdell accidentally eats a bit of the bacon and comes down sick, that's when she's going to get busted the out. Reveal. I don't know. I wouldn't think Simon would stand for that, but Simon did forgive this man for trash shooting his dog. So, (sighs) okay, wait, before we rate, let's think about this through another lens really quick. Instead of like the other guy romantic option, let's other guy the options for who is the best caretaker for Verdell. Okay. Uh, Why couldn't Cuba Gooding Jr. take him? Right. Does Cuba Gooding Jr., is he allergic to dogs? He said that he was was too busy traveling and he wouldn't have time to take care of him. Okay. Which is a fair concern when you're dealing with a dog. uh, Definitely not Helen Hunt because she'll Munchausen's the dog too. (laughs) Uh, she might dose him like she doses her kid. And I then think Cuba Gooding Jr.'s assistant would have been the best option. I mean, Melvin, absolutely not. You can't just feed a dog straight up bacon exclusively. It will die. Yeah. <laughs> and who took care of the dog? Uh, okay, so I got the impression that while the three of them went on the road trip, Verdell just stayed in Melvin's apartment and who the fuck knows who fed him. And I guess Simon's former assistants who 
moved all of his things into Melvin's apartment for no pay, or maybe Melvin paid them. I don't know, like picked up Verdell's droppings that were left over that weekend. I'm not sure. But that was all a little suspect. My vote will be the neighbor who found him in the garbage bin. Yeah. There's a man who knows where to look for a a missing dog in an apartment building. (laughs) That guy's only mistake was delivering Verdell back to the people who got him lost down the garbage chute. And also, um, at the very beginning, (laughs) at the very, very beginning, when it starts where Verdell is just standing in the hallway and Melvin is like, come on, come on, you stupid dog, right? And then he pees. Like, what's it to Melvin? I I wouldn't have even, like, cared for one second. I'd be like, oh, I know that's my neighbor's dog whatever like i mean if i I if i was a good person which i am i would knock on their door and be like hey your dog's out in the hallway but like if i wasn't a good person i just wouldn't care at all like i just wouldn't like oh that's my and then just went on my merry (laughs) way was like purposefully waiting to like damage the dog for peeing in the hallway Mm -hmm. it was weird like i don't uh, and melvin doesn't you're not gonna have to clean that up that's like the custodian's problem which is also not good but you know maybe Verdell could go live with the street hustlers. Skeet Ulrich could take him in and he could get like a little punky looking vest. Yes. And he could be like the little prince of the uh the street robbers. <laughs> I, I think that's the that's the winner for me. And and he gets a little mohawk. Oh. I wanted to slip in one more thing before we rate two, which is I de facto have a prejudice against any any movie where the title of the movie is said aloud. Um I guess I don't count movies where it's like a first name or something, but if it's a phrase and then the phrase of the movie is said, I'm like, I'm out. And uh, my favorite anecdote about this, this might be false, but my brother was telling me about an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson, the director of There Will Be Blood. And someone asked him, why is There Will Be Blood the name of the movie? And he said that he had a friend who whenever he went to see movies and the name of the movie was said like in theaters, like he, he's watching these movies and he hears the name of the movie, he'll go, Kaka! And so he wanted to make a movie where the movie had a phrase as its title that was never uttered to like thwart his his <laughs> friend who imitates a crow. Oh, no. His poor friend is just waiting while the end credits roll like caca. I can you imagine though if like uh there will be blood was named i drink your milkshake (laughs) (laughs) if it were like a very literary la like book released in 2020 it would be called i drink your milkshake um uh i give as good as it gets uh two strips of bacon out of five i recognize there's great cinematography some great performances and some good themes of found family and good depiction of like the alienation and loneliness of modern urban existence and how we all need to learn to depend on each other but the romance feels totally unnecessary and is made by the end of the movie the central point of it. So two out of five. Yeah, I I will go ahead and give it um, three out of five white claws out of because uh, that's what I was drinking. 
at the time when I was both watching the movie and also talking about the movie now with you both. Um, I think that the writing is very smart when it is not peppered with um, horrific uh, anti-Semitic, homophobic, sexist, racist slurs. Um, And I would have loved this movie so, so, so much more if they had just changed a few small things. Um, If they had made Jack Nicholson's character just a little less atrocious. Um, And if they had given him a better redemption arc that was more believable and actually a redemption. Um, And if they had cut the romance part out entirely, just cut it out. I mean, I would have have even loved it if Helen Hunt had somehow ended up with Cuba Gooding Jr. I wouldn't have, I would have loved that much more. Um, But other than that, yeah. yeah. Honestly, same. I think that if the movie hadn't been a romance and hadn't uttered, and we were warned about this. Thank you, Xenalon. And we want to warn any other listeners who may watch it that, you know, there are a lot of slurs. Like, there is some nasty stuff said in this movie, particularly toward the beginning. Um, But I think that if it hadn't had the romance and some of the assholiness of Melvin could have been expressed without actually enacting the bigotry on screen, I could maybe have even given this a four of five. But as it stands, it's a two of five for me. And it gets that second star on top of the one because it introduced me to the thespian of 1997, Jill the dog. All hail. (laughs) (laughs) You probably won't hear this after Samantha has edited the episode, but there was like the longest pause of all time (laughs) between me saying that and Sadie saying all hail. (laughs) But Jill... You are you are the topic of discussion on our animal actors uh, thread on our Discord server now, Jill. I assume that you're probably not still alive today. R.I.P. You have enriched us all with your big bug eyes and your sweet little weird looking face, like an incredible dog performance. Well, Jen, perfection. Jill the dog gets a six out of five. What disgusting slurs should people shout at our podcast? <laughs> Well, they should tell our filthy little podcast that we're a five of five stars uh, on, you know, anywhere that you can rate it um, as such. And you can talk to us on Twitter at YSSTOG, or you can email us, which we check very rarely, but we are super excited whenever we get an email. So like, don't fret if you email us and don't hear back for a while, just know that we'll make like wild hand motions when we see the email and we'll definitely respond to you at some point. And if you join our Patreon uh, at the lowest tier, you can get on our Discord server and like shout at us about things and we can talk and send each other goofy gifs all week. Or Samantha and I will send you goofy gifs as Sadie sent us that viral tweet earlier this week that pointed out only people over the age of 33 send GIF responses and let's see what else oh yeah and the other tiers of our Patreon like if you you got a few more dollars to throw towards us being able to actually watch all these movies every month and not illegally pirate everything we appreciate you so much and you can get specialized rom-com playlists made by our very own Sadie or if you are the most elite you can even make us watch movies of your choice such as as good as it gets and 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 starship troopers are those our two (laughs) nora choices now and um roman holiday that was our other 
These are our three Nora choices so far. Robin Holiday was the most actually rom-com. Well, this one also is a rom-com, but Starship Troopers. But Starship Troopers me. was a really other guy situation. This one was a, it was a romance and it was a movie. I feel like we should have switched up the order probably because that was just straight up Samantha's choice for us to watch the Snyder Cut of Justice League last week. But um, a Patreon. I don't know. After this, I guess we're going to have to... <laughs> May I? May I read from the Patreons? I'm excited to, to speak their names aloud. We wanted to thank our lovely, wonderful Patreons, Logan, Andrew, Althea, Xenalon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, and Liz. We love you all so much. Thank you for bearing with us through the Zack Snyder Justice League <laughs> to come out the other side. <laughs> with this oh i'll have you know it was a popular episode (laughs) (laughs) see and that's why we didn't do it for april fool's day we were on the zeitgeist releasing it before the end of march it got more plays than our wild mountain time episode uh hand handily (laughs) (laughs) somehow that doesn't surprise me god bless wild mountain time Spence.